This is Transistor.fm. This week we have Jason Freed on the program. We discuss how he made thousands of dollars in high school, why he chose DHH as a partner, and the thinking behind Basecamp Breeze and Basecamp Personal. This episode is sponsored by Sprintly. Most stakeholders just want to know how much stuff was completed last week. The Sprintly Team Cadence Graph does just that. It clearly shows you what the team has completed over the last seven days. You can try Sprintly for free. Go to www.sprint.ly. A quick note about the audio quality of the show. Jason had a bad Wi-Fi connection that caused Skype to drop out at numerous times in the interview. We felt like the content was good, and so we released the show even though the audio is not up to our standard. In order to serve you, the listener, we paid to have a transcript made so you can read the interview. You can see this at productpeople.tv slash Jason Freed. Thanks for being our listener. We're starting something new with this episode. You can hear about that at the end of the show. Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Kyle. And this is Product People, the show about beautiful products and the people who make them. And this is a pretty exciting episode because our guest today is Jason Freed of 37 Signals. And of course, 37 Signals is the company behind Basecamp and a bunch of other popular products, as well as the best-selling book, Rework. So Jason, it's a pleasure to have you today. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Perfect. Well, Jason, you guys have been really busy at 37 Signals. You've built a, a bunch of new stuff this year. But before we get into all that, um, I want to know, have you always been making products? Is this something you've been doing, you know, just since you started 37 Signals? Or was there stuff you'd built and sold before that? Yeah, when I first got started in computers, it was like I was in junior high. I'm 38 now, so I guess that was, I don't know, 20 five years ago or something, I guess. I got a computer um, <laughs> and uh, I just started messing around with it. And one of the things that I, I wanted to do was I wanted to keep track of all the different um, tapes and CDs that I had. And so I went up on, um, eventually got on AOL, which this is way before the the formal internet was around. So I went on AOL and went to the file section and searched in the Mac section for like music organizing tools. I found some stuff and I downloaded those things, and they were mostly based in FileMaker Pro, um, which is a database. And um, I had FileMaker Pro so I could run them, and I just didn't like them. I don't know what it was, but they, they well they were they weren't attractive. They weren't easy to use. They were complicated. They were far more or doing far more things than I really needed. I just needed this really kind of simple thing. I wanted to look good and, and be fast. So. I ended up just figuring out, figuring that I could figure out how to make this sort of thing myself. So I had FileMaker. I started screwing around, started learning how to do it. And I eventually made a product called AudioFile, uh, and, and, um, which, which I started using to, to catalog my music collection. And then I um, basically wrote a little text file, a readme file, basically. And in there I said, hey, um, if you like this, it's 20 bucks. Uh, send me a check or send me 20 bucks, and I put my address down. Um, and then um, I uploaded it to AOL and <laughs> see what would happen. I had no idea. It, and then one day I got a check in the mail. Well, I got an envelope in the mail from, from a guy in Germany, and I didn't know anybody in Germany. I hadn't heard anyone from Germany. I had never 
there. Um, and, and so my parents gave me this envelope, this airmail kind of envelope, and I opened it up, and there was a, a printout of that README file and 20 bucks, and that was the start for me of selling software. And after that, I you know started taking off, and I mean it didn't put me through college or anything, but I had a nice amount of spending money, extra spending money in college, just from this $20 shareware tool that I made. And I made, you know, tens of thousands of dollars uh, or more selling it over the next few years. You're kidding me. Like, actually tens of thousands of dollars selling this little shareware app? Yes. Tens of thousands of dollars, 20 bucks a pop. Oh, wow. So, what was that, like... Did that seem significant to you? I mean, I I would love. Oh to, yeah. I would love to make ten thousand dollars now. Uh, as a high school kid, was that pretty significant? Oh yeah, it was. I mean, I've always had jobs too. So I I've been working since I've been thirteen at four, you know grocery stores and shoe stores and gas stations and all this stuff. So I had I had part time jobs anyway. So I always had um, you know spending money, um, but it was great to have extra money coming in and. To have a significant amount and for it to be sort of this passive money in that I didn't have to actually, I didn't feel like I was working for it. I'd already done the work, which was make the software. Yeah. Um, and then money just kept coming in. Unlike my, you know, part-time jobs where I had to go, you know, after school, I had to go work for four hours or something every day or whenever I did it. So that was a real nice thing. And, and um, it was great. It was killer. I, I bought a bunch of stuff, you know, that I wanted, like a stereo and, you know, whatever. Just a bunch of garbage, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I bought stuff because I'm like, hey, I have some money to buy stuff. And then in college, it came in handy because I didn't work during college, so I, I needed some money to spend. So that was handy, and and yeah, it was great. It was, uh, but it was a revelation that, that the understanding was that, or the thing I realized early on was that people are happy to pay for things that are good, um, and don't be afraid to charge for your services. Don't be afraid to charge for what you produce. And if those people who don't want to pay for it want to complain about it, that's fine. They don't have to buy it. But there's plenty of people out there who appreciate something good and, and uh, are happy to, to, to cough up some cash for it because they think it's, it's worth their time and, and uh, it makes their life better. Yeah. What, what did your folks think about this when this is going on when you're in high school? Are, 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 are you from an entrepreneurial family? Uh, sort of. My grandfather um, started a grocery store chain way back when, so he sort of was working on his own. My dad worked for someone else for a while, but then he was working on his own. So a little bit of that. I mean, I always kind of felt like I'd be an entrepreneur at some level. Uh, my dad always encouraged me to be that way. <clears throat> but um, making money thing from this software thing on this thing called AOL, you know, like that was like a whole, my parents didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of was surprised too, but um, they just kept seeing checks coming in the mail for me every, you know, whenever I get home from school or something, they would, There'd be a pile, of, a pile of envelopes, you know, for me. So it's like they, they liked it at a certain point, obviously. Uh, that's hilarious. If, if I all of a sudden, sudden had $10,000 in envelopes, my parents would have some questions for me. <laughs> well, of course, this is sprout over many years. But, yeah, I mean, they're like, what's going on? And I showed them. I'm like, I made this thing, and people are paying for it. And they totally, you know, they understood that part of it. They didn't understand what the thing was. But yeah. they got like, yeah, well, you know, people pay for things they want to buy, and okay, people are paying for it. Good for you. Yeah, that's great. And so, how how old did you say you were when you were when you first did this? You know, I can't exactly remember, but I feel like I was. I started doing the computer stuff like in junior high, and then I feel like it was probably 
sometime in high school when I actually released the product. Okay. The audiophile product. I think I, I, it's been so long. I don't remember the exact <laughs> years, but, but I, I started before I went to college and I kind of kept it going through college and then I sort of stopped after that. Gotcha. That's gotta be quite a like revelation for, you know, like a late adolescent kid. I know around that time is sort of when, you know, I got a part-time job after school and this whole idea of like, Hey, I'm going to, I guess this is just how the world works. You kind of like trade your hours for dollars sort of thing. And meanwhile, you were kind of seeing the opposite end of the spectrum. You're like, build this thing one time and collect mad checks. So what was that like? As you know, I imagine none of your friends were doing something like that. They were kind of like doing the old thing. So, well, you know, I, um, I always had tried to sell other things too. So I, I, um, I eventually, at one point, I got a reseller's license when I was, I think, 14 or 15. Um, I went with my dad, like, downtown somewhere. I don't remember all the details either. It was a long time ago. But we, we got this license that allowed me to buy things from distributors at cost. <laughs> and then I could resell them to my friends, you know, for, like, a double. Because it was still cheaper than it would have been to get stuff in a store. Or if it wasn't double, it was, like, I'd make 50% or something. So, like... I had friends who were buying like cordless phones for me and like radar detectors <laughs> for their car and stuff. Like at the store, it was like, you know, 200 bucks and I, I paid like 110 and I sold them for like 160 or something. So I made 50 bucks, you know? So I've always, I've always been into the buying and selling and, and the business side of things. But the thing that was cool about software was that, um, I felt like the majority of the effort was up front and, and <clears throat> the payments came afterwards, which I kind of liked, um, compared to, you know, doing a reseller thing where you have to go buy inventory and then sell it and then you buy more inventory and you're always working hard for the same amount of money instead of putting in a lot of creativity up front and then reaping the rewards down the road. Right. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, so if we were like fast forward a little bit to um, your 37 Signals, start of 37 Signals, you guys started off as, as a design agency, correct? That's right. So, so that would be a little bit different, I guess, than selling a product where you do all this upfront work and then collect on it sort of over the life of the product. But so you started as a design agency, but eventually transitioned into your first product, Basecamp. Do you maybe want to talk about what that was like um, going from an agency to uh, creating a product? Like what prompted you guys to build Basecamp? Was the idea of changing into a product company something you guys had from the start? Or was it sort of like, Let's build this and see what happens. The uh, product Basecamp came from our own needs. So we were a consulting firm or doing website design for people. Um, and we just got busier and busier doing that work. And we needed a better way to, to manage these products we were doing for clients. We were basically delivering things via email, which is fine. It works, but it just didn't feel, <clears throat> it didn't feel that, I don't know, professional is the word I used. I don't like that word today, but back then I'm like, we don't, I don't, this doesn't feel professional or something. And then there's no like permanent record of things. It was just like in inboxes spread out all over the place. And I'm like, there's gotta be a, a better way to do this sort of thing. And so we looked around at some tools that existed in the market, but weren't really solving the problems. It's very similar to me way back in the day, looking for music cataloging tools. And I just couldn't, I couldn't find something that just, did what I needed to do. It was, all these things were doing other things that I didn't need. So we decided to build our own project management tool for ourselves. Um, and, 
And as we were building it, we were using it and we were using it with our clients and they were saying things like, hey, I need this sort of thing too. What is this? Like I've got projects. I need to manage my projects. Where, where can I buy this thing? And we said, well, we're just still, we're, made, we're building this thing. You know? so we finished it up, used it some more and then polished it up to turn it into a product. Released it in February 2004 um, with a goal that if it could, if it could make $5,000 a month after the first year. So we figured it would take like a year for it to make $5,000 a month. And we'd be happy because it'd be, you know, it's about 60 grand a year, which is like a nice client project. And we'd be doing our client work and we'd have this like, quote, free money, this free 60 grand coming in every year. But it turned out that we hit that number in like five or six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. I don't remember the exact time, but like oh, wow. it didn't take a year. It took like a month, two months. And it was doing more than five thousand a month, so we knew we were on to something. It just turned out that a year later, so I was doing more money than our consulting business was. We stopped doing the consulting stuff and started doing product development, or started not developing products, but just focused on Basecamp. And uh, the rest is sort of history for that. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, Jason, maybe we can talk a little bit about because along that time you met this guy named David Hanemeyer Hansen. And, you know, this is a, maybe actually you can give Kyle and I some advice because him and I are new partners on this, mm-hmm. this podcast. And we're, we've actually, it, it's similar. We, we met each other online and uh, now we've got a little bit of revenue. And, and I think, you know, in some ways Kyle and I are at the point where we're saying, you know, do we want to actually partner up for real and, and make this official? How did you go through that process with <coughs> David? Well, David, I originally hired David. Um, he was in school at the time, um, and I hired him to give me 10 hours a week. Actually, there's something before that. I made this thing called Single File, which is a book collection database online. Um, and I, I made it, and I was kind of stuck, and so I asked some people for some help, and David is one of the people who heard about that I needed help. He wrote me an email, started helping me back and forth this is just free like advice and i'm like i really like this guy I like his advice i like how clear he is and whatever so i hired him to do that project for me to finish that okay cool <laughs> and that worked out really well and um so that was the first project we did together then i said this other project came up at 37 signals which was um uh, an intranet project for a client of ours um called Summit Credit Union. We were doing the redesign, but then we said, hey, maybe we could sell them on some functionality too. So I said, hey, David, would you be up being the programmer on this? We'll do the design, do the programming, and we'll sell this thing. And um, he said, sure. He was a student. He was looking for money, you know. Um, so we worked together on that project, which was a great project. And then we worked together on some other projects like that. And then um, he was getting out of school, and we were talking, and so I hired him as a contractor to do base camp and then hired him as an employee. And then from an employee eventually became a partner in the business. So it was a series of, of tests basically, uh, but they weren't really tests. They were just like, that's looking back. It looks like they were tests, but they were really just experiences working together on at a different capacity along the way. And then realizing that we got along well, we'd be good partners in the business. And, and he was, the key was that he was, um, introducing a skill or he was bringing a skill to the table that I didn't have. So he was a programmer. I was a designer. He wasn't a designer. I wasn't a programmer. So we complimented each other really well, which I think is important for partners. Yeah. And, um, 
uh, and that's how it happened. So it, it happened over a series of years, gaining trust, working together, um, and that's that's how that all came together eventually. <laughs> was there any part of you that was still nervous when you made that jump to saying, you know, I'm actually going to give you a part of this company um, that we've built? It, was there any sort of like hesitation, or by that point had you built enough trust to say, you know what, I, I trust this guy, we can we can go ahead on this? Well, there was hesitation just because it's a big step to, to do that. Um, uh, and I, I had a couple partners before, 37 Signals, um, and at this point I, I was on back on my own again at 37 Signals, so it's a couple things. One, one didn't work out early, the, the other guy just left a few years later. Um, they were all good, amicable separations, but like you know, I'm back to my own again. Do I want to go back in this whole partner thing? Do I want to go down that road again? Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, there was that, uh, of course. But um, David, David was um, I could tell that David was a special, unique guy, uh, and that had had we not partnered up, um, I would have gone off to do his own thing. So it was sort of a it was a it was a risk. It'd be actually I kind of saw it as a bigger risk not to um, get him more involved. I also thought that he would contribute a lot more as an owner and things. So so while there was that initial sort of do I really want to go down this partner thing road again, mm-hmm. there was also the yes this this makes sense and I'm going to take a risk. I, I'm going to bet on this guy. I believe in him, uh, and I'll make a bet and see what happens. And it was good, obviously. Yeah, it paid off. Yep. Well, maybe one last question in kind of just the background story. When you, when you guys started, um, you know, doing base camp and started blogging, you were kind of the underdogs. Um, no one really knew who you were. And, you know, your biggest competitor was, you know, Microsoft in the project management space. But now, especially in the tech community, a lot of people know who you are. Um, how does it feel to have all of this attention now? What uh, what's it like? It, has it changed from when you first started? And does it make it harder? Does it make it easier? Do you like the attention? What what's that like? Um, I don't really think about it. I mean, I, I think uh, I know that we have the ability to get attention by saying things or announcing things or whatever. But it doesn't affect our decisions day to day, and uh, but like when we have a new product, we're lucky. We we have a you know, people do care about what we're doing, and and some people love it, some people hate it, and whatever. But the point is, is that we know that when we have something to say, people will listen. So that's good. That's a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. But day to day, don't I don't think about it um, personally. I I'm not personally. I'm more of a private guy. I don't like to seek attention. I don't. I'd rather be at home, more homebody kind of, you know, introverted person. So, like, I don't. It's one of the reasons why I don't go to a lot of conferences and stuff, and I just don't really want the attention. Yeah, uh, I just want to like, do great work and build cool stuff, and and that's what I'm focused on. So, you know, one of the things is, is of course, when, when you're more people know about you, they their expectations are different, and in many ways it's very hard to meet people's expectations on a consistent basis when when they have their own sort of expectations that are sort of um, 
uh, impossible. You know, so 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 when you release a new product, it's very easy for people to go, "Is that all? Is that all they could do? Like, is that it? you know that sort of thing?" Which you wouldn't get that normally if you were brand new. Yeah, so there's a little bit of that stuff, but for the most part, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, it's great to have the ability to to not have to pay for attention uh, because we've we've earned it over the years, and and that's that's definitely helpful. Yeah. Well, this segues into a, something that Kyle was asking me about, which was the, you know, the launch, what was the, like, with the Basecamp relaunch, right, Kyle? Yeah, so I think uh, it's been close to a year since you guys relaunched Basecamp, correct? I think you launched in start of March of 2012. So, um, I mean, I've got, uh, well, I've worked in the past at places where we've decided to rebuild the product from scratch, and it usually... um, I mean, it ends up being good, but it's it's also in some ways never really as good as you imagine, or it takes a little bit longer. So, and and some people tend to to say like, you know, you should never rebuild your product, uh, which I don't personally think, but there's a pretty strong um, following for that line of thinking. So, I'm I'd be curious to know now that you guys are a year into it, um, looking back on it. Um, what what originally prompted you guys to take on this huge risk of rebuilding a successful product, and and how did it go? Like, did it take longer than you might have thought, or have you been overall happy with how it's went? Yeah, uh, it was a kind of a pretty heavy internal actually between mostly between me and David initially. Um, David, um, so the new base camp was my idea. Like, I want to. Let's build a new base camp. Let's start over. Let's solve new, solve similar problems, but new ways. And so I start working on this. This and this is typically how new product development works here. I'll have some idea and I'll just start like mocking it up and screwing around and whatever. And then I'll show David get his feedback on it because David David has a really um, insightful um, take on things and uh, he. he he also reacts quickly, which is good and bad, but but really good when you're showing an idea, you know, because like um, good to see quick reactions to things. So anyway, so I, I go off on my own and work with another designer or something and do something, and then I show David. Um, and initially, David David was convinced because um, he's always like you mentioned, um, and it's sort of it's sort of said in the industry that total rewrites are usually a huge mistake. Um, they usually don't turn out as well as they should. It's a ton of time spent for very little return, and it's sort of like the curse of of software development. So he was naturally opposed to that, which which I totally understood too. Um, and I was sort of feeling like let's not let's not get stuck not doing something because we're not supposed to. Like let's let's try something and see if we can do something that we're not supposed to. Like let's not stop doing it because we're not supposed to. Let's start doing it because we're not. See what happens. So, um, so we went back to the drawing board and some stuff. He had some really good feedback on a few things, and I went back and just changed the design around, and messed around, presented to him again, and he started seeing sort of where it was going and, and got really excited about it. Um, and um, the idea behind it was not to recreate Basecamp that we already had. Um, and that's what happens with a lot of rewrites. It's like pe- a team will rewrite a product. And what will come out is the exact same product with a new code base. That's not that's not worth the time. Um, we were going to approach the same problems, which was communication and collaboration and, and sharing information and keeping it all in place online and that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, and I think that's like a perfect example of like when it does make sense to possibly do a rewrite. When a lot of people say to not do a rewrite or it's a mistake is I think because in a lot of cases when a company decides to do a rewrite, the decision is technology-based. Like let's migrate from this old technology stack to a newer technology stack because of these technology reasons. But um, in your guys' case, it sounds like you you learned a lot and gained a lot of insight from running Basecamp, the first version, and it probably gave you some different uh, ways to approach the problems. And so it's kind of like a a problem-solving reason to approach rebuild rather than technology. Yeah, and we also got to use a lot of new technology. One of the reasons why we couldn't improve because one of the things we talked about was could we take these ideas that we come up with that we come up with um, and sort of fix Basecamp Classic, the original Basecamp. Could we change it in these ways? And it just turns out that when you have a product that's been around for eight years, there's so much legacy built up, technology legacy, also customer expectations that if you go off and change it drastically, it, it really ends up being very difficult. So we decided to keep the old Basecamp, which we renamed Basecamp Classic, around forever. As long as people are using it, it's going to stick around. A lot of people still use it. But um, we're going to focus our efforts on the new Basecamp, new tech, new ideas, the whole thing, and run both versions. Um, but you, when, when you're a new customer, you only get the new one. But anyone who's on the old one can stay on the old one, or they can move to the new one if they want. Um, and so uh, as far as how long it took, it took about a year to do. We wanted to take a little bit less time. Uh, we thought it might take six months originally or something. But we, we made we made a lot of as we went and changed a lot of things and did some stuff and worked for months on something and threw it out and things like that. So we went back and forth. But uh, I'm extremely happy with how it came out. I think it's, aside from the original decision to make Basecamp, it's the best decision as a company we've ever made to, to redo it. Uh, and uh, I think it gives us um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of opportunity to do some really interesting things moving forward as well. So we're really thrilled with it. Customers are loving it. Uh, the numbers that we care about are all up. Um, and uh, it, it's it's sort of, in many ways, put us back on the map, um, which which is good for us too because, you know, we, we built this thing eight years ago and that's kind of a long, long time ago. So it's good to show that we can do something like this. <laughs> well, in the, the last uh, few minutes we have here, um, I want to talk about Basecamp Breeze and Basecamp Personal mm-hmm. uh, because you you recently got rid of a bunch of maybe um, products that were kind of low cost or for consumers like uh, Draft, Backpack, Tada, and Writeboard, and I was a little bit surprised when you guys came out with these these two personal products, uh, and they're both I think they're both you just pay once and you can use it forever, so. Right. What, what was the thinking behind that? Why launch these products aimed at consumers? Well, they're not really aimed at consumers necessarily. Um, so let's, let's kind of throw that word out just for a second. The, 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 the idea behind these two products was we were actually setting up some mailing lists, and I was just realizing like how complicated it is to set up a mailing list. It's kind of ridiculous how hard it is. Yeah, and like Google lists or Google groups and Yahoo groups and stuff. That's all you can do it. It's just they're really complicated for just simple things, which is like I just want an email address I can send an email to and have everyone get it, and anyone who responds to that email gets goes to everyone else too. Like I, that's all I wanted. <coughs> and a lot of people actually use Basecamp this way. A lot of people use Basecamp as a mailing list. Um, 
huh. with all post messages and it gets sent out to everybody, the whole thing. And so we just said, like, what if we totally stripped this out and just built a real simple mailing list tool um, as as sort of an experiment in in single pay, <laughs> single pay software. So everything else we've ever really done has been subscription based. Um, so could we sell? Could we make something that was so damn simple? and sell for time and just see what happens. So we did that, and that's what Basecamp Breeze is. And the idea maybe is that um, perhaps it'll cr- people will cross over to Basecamp when they hear about Basecamp Breeze. They'll check it out. They'll get on a list. They'll find, a, find it out. They'll follow a URL, and they'll find, hey, there's this other Basecamp thing. And so it's a little bit of a marketing experiment mm-hmm. and a pricing experiment, and, and that's kind of what that's all about. Um, yeah. Basecamp Personal, on the other hand, is a direct response to um, customers – asking us if they can use Basecamp for personal projects or projects for their volunteer group or church group or something. Because um, they, they want to use Basecamp for that, but the pricing model just doesn't work. It's too expensive and or the subscription model isn't just a, isn't a good model for, for, for like a home renovation project, which might take six months or a month, who knows, and they can get really expensive as you keep going. So we had this idea that we could basically um, sell individual base camp projects for 25 bucks each um, and you can use them as long as you want and you only have to pay 25 bucks there's some limitations like there's only a gig of space and you can only ask or invite five people and there's no calendar and some other stuff but it, it it's 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 pointed currently at people who already use base camp already know base camp they don't have to be sold on it they love it already at work but they want to use it for other stuff and um, it's just 25 bucks one time per project so that was a fun experiment because that's a, that's an example of um, selling the same product in a different way. Like we didn't have to change the code base really; we just like pulled some stuff out. It's the same exact code base. Basecamp Personal and Basecamp are the same thing. Um, it's just a different pricing model, and there's some different walls up in different places. Um, and so far, Basecamp Personal has been really successful. We sold close to a thousand projects. Uh, um, you know, so it's like twenty five grand in like you know less than a month. Just kind of put this thing out there barely making any noise about it. Uh, and pretty soon we're going to open it up to everybody in the world. So right now it's only available to Basecamp customers. Um, uh-huh. But we're going to let anyone create their own uh, Basecamp project um, soon. But we, for now it's just focused on existing users. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to check up with you in a year and see if there was uh, a marketing benefit for, from that, if there was a crossover from Breeze and uh, Personal. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm curious. I don't know. You know, we don't know. It's just a, it's just a guess. It's way too early to say anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, maybe in a year we'll know more. All right. So uh, we're just about out of time here. So I thought maybe we would end with one uh, last quick question. Um, Jason, what sort of advice would you offer for a solo product creator? Uh, do you think, based on your experience, um, should they maybe set out to build like a full SaaS app like Basecamp, or do you think there's a market for smaller products like Breeze, like a one-off, uh, one price, a little bit smaller scope? Uh, where would be a good place for somebody to start? Uh, it's, it's hard to say, but what I can tell you is that Basecamp Breeze on its own would not support anybody yet. You know, it's it's ten bucks. So let let's just say let's just say we even sold ten thousand Breeze accounts, right? That's a hundred grand, which is which is um which is nice, obviously. Um, but um, uh, it's, we haven't sold 10,000. <laughs> we have to sell a lot more to get anywhere close to that. So it'd be very hard, I think, to, to make 
um, make enough money selling one-off things like this that require ongoing support. It's different when you are maybe talking about an iPhone app or something where you sell once and like you're not supporting the server and the infrastructure, just like the app. So I think if you if you want to go down the one price road to start, I wouldn't build a web app that does that because that requires 24-7 uptime and that kind of stuff. And we're, we're fortunate that we have that whole infrastructure already set up so we can do that sort of thing and experience that sort of thing. But it's not going to support someone very long. Um, so I would definitely suggest people if they're going to build something for themselves or build a, their first product and, and maybe they're just on their own right now to try and do something with recurring revenue because it will take a lot of the pressure off um, making sure the bills get paid and that you have some money to spend yourself and you, you, you can control the cash flow a lot more. And, and um, I just think that's a better place to start. I think once you have a successful customer base and infrastructure and stuff, you can really start to experiment with single pricing plan uh, options and stuff like that. But, but I also wouldn't try and build something very big either. I think you can, you can build something real simple. Um, and, uh, you know, you could charge 20, 30 bucks a month for it if it's a solid product. For I would also focus on business stuff because businesses are happy to pay for things generally. Um, it doesn't need to do a whole lot. It just needs to be useful, and you can build a nice business that way. Um, so I would stay away from the consumer business, too, as a, as a single product person who's starting out just because it's very hard to get average or well, not average. It's just hard to get consumers to pay for things. Uh, when it comes to software, unless it's like two bucks, everyone seems to be like stuck with the 99 cents or $2 products now. And so they're, that's what people are used to. Businesses are used to paying a lot of money for things. So 20 bucks a month seems like a huge discount for them. Um, so there's a lot more opportunity there, I think. Right. So kind of in summary, probably a, a smaller scope, uh, some kind of recurring product, ideally geared towards businesses. That's kind of a good place to start. I think so. Real focused, you know, what do you need as a business owner? Uh, in fact, we're working on another product right now, which we need um, as a business. And we've been building it for just like about a month, really. Month. Well, it, it's been a little bit longer than that, but really seriously for a month. And it's just me and one other guy doing it uh, here. And um, like we could technically release that product in a few weeks if we wanted to. So let's say it's six to eight weeks worth of work. Um, two guys could have probably been one person. Uh, you know, and, and it's a, it's a tool. I think a lot of businesses are going to be interested in paying for. So I think it's cer certainly possible to do that. You don't have to think that things are going to take you a year to do. If you're just focused and you do a few things well, and you're, you can be a good spot. Huh? So we'll wait for that. And maybe in two weeks, there's going to be another product announcement. No, not in two weeks. <laughs> there, it could be technically, but there's no chance. Um, so yeah, we're, we're working on something that's going to hopefully be out later this year, but, um, uh, just saying, like, you really could, technically we could get it out there, um, you know, with eight weeks worth of developments. Yeah. So it's, right. it's certainly possible to do that. Well, you're being too conservative. you got to get it out now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, we'll get it out sooner than later. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Well, Jason, thanks so much for your time. Uh, in the show notes, we're going to put links to all of Jason's contact information, the 37 Signals website, and a link to the landing page for the new book that him yes. and David Hanemeyer Hansen are working on. Uh, it's called Remote. And so you guys can check that out in the show notes. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time today to, uh, to talk to us. Hey, you bet. It was real fun. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to hear from you again, Justin. By the way, we haven't talked in a while. Yeah, yeah. It's good to yeah. hear from you, too. Cool. Cool. See, we'll you guys. Let you, see you later. 
Hey, we're starting something new. It's called Shoutouts, and it's an inexpensive way for you to sponsor a show. Starting as low as $39 per episode, you can promote anything you want. It can be your bootstrap startup, a job opening, or a side project. We're going to read these shoutouts at the end of each episode. You can get started at productpeople.tv slash shoutout, all one word. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.